This is your favorite time of the week with your number one one podcast. Sports Today with Peter J. Facing pressure, goes over the top, wide open is Chase, and he splits the defenders for the touchdown. Third and goal to the end zone, Chase, touchdown, what a catch. Mahomes on the run, Kelsey in the middle, Kelsey touchdown. And Mahomes steps up, throws to the back, touchdown. Marquez, Valdez, Scantling. Third long, blitz coming. Prescott fires. Oh, it's intercepted. Far side of the field. Diamador Lenore read it, picked it off, and the Niners in business. Prescott, it is picked off by Fred Warner. Warner's got it. Lamb chases him down in a second interception today for the 49ers. Third down and five. Hurts will look to throw. He's got Goddard with a one-handed catch. Touchdown, Philadelphia! What a catch, and he turns it into a score from 16. Third and three, Barkley swings out. Jones gets tripped up and drops. Hassan Reddick beat Evan Neal. And a team that had 15 more sacks than any other in the NFL gets its first one tonight. But never really was in question. They raced out to another one of those big leads at 21-0 and cruised from there. Couldn't compete last week, the Giants. That's the bottom line. Outclassed in that game against the Philadelphia Eagles. Did I think they'd win the game? No. But I said it a bunch of times. I didn't think they'd get their asses completely kicked for 60 minutes. From jump, the Giants were manhandled. Not close. We'll talk about that. On today's version, 11.02 Eastern Time of Sports Today with Peter J. I'm your host, Peter J. Mulroy. Thanks, as always, for checking in, for tuning in uh, with me each and every Saturday. Back to our usual uh, 11 a.m. time slot. Big weekend in in, uh, professional football, right? Conference championship round of the playoffs. Eagles host the Niners. Sunday, for those listening live at 3 p.m., then the Bengals visit KC. 6.30 p.m. on the East Coast. Same day gonna go through picks gonna go through matchups after that at the back end of the program i want to get into some insight and what my analysis of this giant season was and what the plan for the offseason should be if the giants are going to continue to build and most think they will on the season that they had this year uh with led by joe shane and Brian Dable. I also want to get into the Pro Baseball Hall of Fame stuff. It's always a hot topic around this time of the year, especially with what the Baseball Writers Association continues to do or not do on an annual voting basis. Scott Rowland in. I'm going to tell you why I agree with that decision. All right. Again, I appreciate the the, the listenership every weekend here on Podbean. Uh, those not able to catch it live, uh, we're on Spotify, iHeartRadio, and tune in as well. Those live on on Podbean, that's how you can call in. 
I want to hear from you throughout the duration of the show as we talk NFL, MLB, and anything else. You want to talk about the Patrick Reed and Rory McIlroy nonsense? Give me a call. You want to talk about the Mets and the Yankees? Give me a call. By the way, Jeff McNeil back on a four-year deal with the Mets. That's big news. A late bloomer into the bigs. Mets bring him back on a four-year deal. Last night, big-time move. Will fly a little bit under the radar for those who don't completely follow the Mets 162. But that's a big deal for the Mets. But let's get cracking here uh, with the conference championships that we have this weekend. Kansas City, Cincinnati. I want to start there. It's the 6.30 game tomorrow, for those listening live, the Sunday game. Joe Burrow, I, I don't know how to say about what this guy's done. From an injury-plagued rookie year, where the Cincinnati team was awful, all he does is come back, recover, lead a team with a disastrous offensive line to the Super Bowl. With a win, oh, by the way, in the postseason over Pat Mahomes in Kansas City. And here we are again. Cincinnati has a tough start to the season, maybe a Super Bowl hangover from being the defending AFC champs and falling just shy of knocking off uh, L.A. in the Super Bowl a year prior. But here's the mighty Joe Burrow once again knocking on the doorstep of going back to the Super Bowl. And this is as good a shot as, as he's had. I mean, this guy is a proven winner under-recruited out of high school. Different stops. Ohio State, nah, services no longer needed. What does he go to LSU? Goes to LSU and freaking dominates. Comes to Cincinnati, number one pick in the draft. He was never expected to go that high in the draft. That was supposed to be two his year as the number one pick. So he comes into the league years before the deck completely stacked against him, continues to prove people wrong. And here he is once again. Now, tall task Sunday night against Kansas City at Arrowhead? Of course. But what have you seen, for those of you who are fan duelers or draft kingers or do whatever bets you place with the line the entire week? It's hinged on the availability of Patrick Mahomes, who we now know is full go. He's going to play. Cincinnati, a road favorite at Kansas City? or they make it a pick game? Folks, most people are looking at Cincinnati here as the straight-out victor. That's how good this team is. What they did to Buffalo last weekend was unbelievable. Now, cold weather, snow, we get it. But that affects both teams. And I saw those opinions on social media a lot. By the way, I want to give a shout-out to Nigel who was listening to us from New Zealand last week, big football fan out there, asked, when are we going to cover a little more golf? We're going to do it. Might have some anecdotals to add about the Patrick Reed, uh, Rory McIlroy stuff and this live nonsense versus the PGA Tour. Um, so, yes, Nigel, I appreciate you listening from across the way out there in New Zealand. Love it. Uh, yeah. As the, the show goes on, we are going to get into more golf, more baseball, more basketball and, and hockey. But right now, the focus, the NFL. So last week, I saw, I couldn't believe, and I guess I shouldn't be surprised at some of the crap you see on social media, how many people were really blaming the weather for why Josh Allen and Buffalo came up short. Folks, if you have half a brain, and I don't mean to be mean and, 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 and get off my lawny and, and holier than thou, 
Buffalo plays in that weather on a regular basis. It isn't seasonally warm in Cincinnati either. They were prepared for that. Buffalo, it just seems like so many people want to make excuses for Josh Allen when he doesn't play well. He was terrible last week. Also driven by the fact that this Cincinnati defense, the last two months of the season, playoffs included, has been playing out of its mind. But the Bills were just outclassed last week. So if you you want to bail out Josh Allen and use weather as an excuse, move to another planet. Because that makes no sense. It carries no validity. And sometimes I don't really, people must have an out-of-body experience when they type things on social media and then hit, you know what? Yes, I'm going to hit return. This is a good idea. I want to post this. The Bills lost because it snowed. You're a clown. The Bills lost last week at home because Cincinnati is a vastly better football team. Buffalo might have been prepared, right? The New York Giants were prepared last week. They just lost to a vastly superior team. Same with Cincinnati. Joe Burrow right now is playing on another level. And he'll go up against an equal today in Patrick Mahomes. But the thing now with Patrick Mahomes is you got to watch the injury. So if something would happen to Patrick Mahomes today, I guess if from, from an offensive perspective for Kansas City, you're not going into panic mode, right? Chad Hetty last week led a 98-yard touchdown drive. Mahomes came back in, and they were able to get past the Jaguars, who really were a, a dropped pass in the red zone away from potentially winning that football game or at least taking it completely down to the wire, perhaps to overtime. So this is a Kansas City team that has been tested. But what they're going to see is a completely different Cincinnati team, even from the one they saw a year ago. This is a Cincinnati team that boasts a two-headed monster at running back with Samaje Pirine and Joe Mixon. Jamar Chase looks to be like Justin Jefferson, just unstoppable. Difference between Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase is the quarterback. T. Higgins, nice target. Tyler Boyd seems to be the forgotten one, but he's one of their bigger play guys. He's the veteran in that receiving core. Out of the University of Pittsburgh, 28, 29 years old. He's been around the blocks a couple times. He's seen this. So you've got that veteranship there now. And of course, we've got the New York connection, right? With the defensive coordinator, the coordinator, Lou Anarumo, from our stopping grounds here. Uh, in Staten Island, for those listening that may not know that I am a Staten Islander, Cincinnati Bengals defensive coordinator Lou Anarumo from here. So it's nice to have that connection there. This is a complete package on this Cincinnati team. And even with the banged up offensive line, it had been incredibly improved from a year ago when, oh, by the way, they got to the Super Bowl. So you're looking at this Cincinnati team going up against Kansas City. Sunday night. Offenses, yeah, I think Burrow's got the better weapons. Isaiah Pacheco, uh, nice player for Kansas City out of the backfield, the Rutgers kid. But you've seen with Kansas City, I think, throughout the year, the sometimes emergence, depending on the game of McCole Hardman, 
Marquez Valdez-Scantling, who found the end zone last week. It's a different offense without Tyreek Hill. Most teams would be. Not reinventing the wheel there. But the running game, Jarek McKinnon came on late. Everything centers around Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey, who's playing his way, folks, into the discussion for the greatest tight end of all time. You can put in conversations with uh, Dave Casper, Rob Gronkowski, whoever you want to put him in there, Shannon Sharp. Kelsey's right in there. You know that's the numero uno assignment for Cincinnati. If you can find a way, spell him, stop him, bump him, hell of a lot easier said than done. Exponentially increase your odds of winning a football game. Now, you would say, well, other teams should do that too. Yeah, I'm sure they tried, folks. But not everyone has the weaponry and the defensive front, second and third levels to be able to do that. Cincinnati does. This Bengals team continues to improve, and they get better on a week-to-week basis. And when you get better on a week-to-week basis and you're a postseason team, you become all the more dangerous. What I saw last week from Cincinnati just further proved the point that this team is ready to win a Super Bowl. Top to bottom, three guys banged up, two out last week on that offensive line, two starters, left tackle, right guard. And they win 27-10, able to run the ball, protect Burrow, get it to his weapons, chase in the end zone again. And then the defense backs it up and shuts Devin Singletary, Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs down. Surgical performance across the board last week by Cincinnati. Winner of that game obviously goes to the Super Bowl where they will play the winner of the San Francisco-Philadelphia game. Philadelphia outclassed the Giants last week. You saw that from the opening coin toss. 38-7. Ass-kicking. I think from a realistic standpoint, whether you're a Giant fan or not, just an NFL fan, not many people gave the Giants much of a chance in that game, myself included. Did I think they'd lose by 31? More on Big Blue in a minute. As far as the Eagles are concerned, Jalen Hurts didn't have to be the type of guy that just completely dominated a game last week. All he had to do was protect that football, and he did that. Got Dallas Goddard involved. You heard in the open, he found his way into the end zone. The defense was all over the place. Philadelphia won that game last week with their defense. They put pressure on the quarterback. Like no other team, perhaps outside of the team they'll play this weekend in San Francisco, whose defense last week was too much for Dak Prescott and the Dallas Cowboys. Dallas in the game the entire time, two costly turnovers. That's a product of bad decision-making by the quarterback, but mostly the pressure of the defense. The San Francisco defense, even when they were struggling earlier in the season, Trey Lance goes down. Garoppolo not playing great. I keep referring back to him running out of the end zone in one of those games. It was the defense that kept him in those games and floating around 500. Enter Brock Purdy, and here we are. 
storybook type stuff. Say what you want about Purdy and how Garoppolo played prior to injury. San Francisco's here because of their defense. And oh, by the way, they have not lost a contest since Christian McCaffrey was fully ingrained into this offense. And you get to see him on the big stage once again, found the end zone late. He was a big factor in that game, as he should be. That's why San Francisco and John Lynch brought him there. So I think what you'll have in these two games, you know, defensively in the San Francisco-Philadelphia game, I think the team who's able to establish the run more consistently has got the upper hand. Now Philly's playing at home. You know, the PD in Philadelphia is already greasing the polls. I was reading it last night because they don't want lunacy. God bless you, Philadelphia Police Department. You're not going to be able to stop Philadelphia sports fanatics. They're not human. They're going to find a way to go as ballistic as they can, regardless of what you do. But I applaud the effort. They're going to be ready to roll tomorrow night at the link for those listening live. And I expect it to be a close game. I expect the San Francisco-Philadelphia game to be closer than the Cincinnati-Kansas City game. Because I think when you look at both of these contests, in my view, the hottest team coming into this is Cincinnati. The brand of football they're playing, there seem to still be some doubters. I wonder if that would be the case if this game were being played in Cincinnati. I do. Or is the world, the football world, still just completely in love with Patrick Mahomes, which is understandable, that they're not ready to anoint Joe Burrow as maybe the lead dog or the QB1 of the National Football League. Mahomes got the ring. He's been to five straight AFC championship games. That's impressive. He's got a Hall of Fame coach in Andy Reid. He's had weapons galore. Dumbed down a little bit this year, again, by the absence of Tyreek Hill. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire really never took the reins as that lead back. But here they are again. The thing that I, I, I think most would agree on is when you look at the four teams in the conference championship this weekend, San Francisco, Philadelphia, Cincinnati, Kansas City. What's the one thing that separates Kansas City from the pack? It's their defense. It cannot be compared to any of the other three. That could be problematic. If Kansas City is unable to get any semblance of a running game going, they're going to have a problem. And I'm not just saying because Mahomes is banged up, because he clearly is. 99% of the guys left in this tournament are banged up. But the Chiefs are going to have to figure out a way to get some semblance of a running game going if they want to advance to another Super Bowl. Now, could we get into a shootout? Burrow Mahomes, shot for shot. Like we saw in the postseason last year, shot for shot, Allen with Mahomes. When Buffalo just fell asleep late in that game, I suppose. Do I think that's going to happen? No. I actually think the game will be a little bit lower scoring than most people think. San Francisco, Philadelphia, probably somewhere in the 20s. 
you can play really, really good defense and still give up 20-plus points, especially this time of year. I mean, Brock Purdy hasn't lost a game. What is he, 13 touchdowns, four picks, or 15 touchdowns, four picks since coming in. Jalen Hurts has had an MVP-type season. Pat Mahomes has had an MVP-type season. Joe Burrow has been playing out of his mind the last six, seven weeks of the, of, of the year. But when you look at these four teams left in the tournament, to me, Kansas City's fourth, and it's because of their defense. I know the old adage, defense wins championships, da 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 I get it. You know, a lot of those teams hadn't had quarterbacks in the past, like a Burrow, like a Mahomes, like an Allen. But I think in this instance, that adage might prove to be true. If you can pound you away with a ground game, reliable quarterback play, and then lean on your defense like San Francisco, Philly, and Cincinnati have proven they can do, man, you're going to be tough to beat. You're going to be real tough to beat. Think about some of the teams over the years. Now, there's the old school thought process where all you need is a good defense and you, and you can Trent Dilfer, Brad Johnson your way to a Super Bowl. Okay, maybe. Me, personally? Maybe somewhere in between. But I'm telling you now, and I, and I don't think I'm reinventing the wheel by saying this. If you had any one of the defenses that the Niners, Eagles, with the amount of pressure, I mean, all just go back and watch the film or the highlights of the Eagles-Giants game from last week and watch how much pressure Philadelphia put on that Giants front five to stop Barkley, Breida when he's in the game, and basically make Daniel Jones useless. And tell me that that is not a recipe to win in a Super Bowl. Giants did it twice in 08 and 12 against Tom Brady and the Patriots. So you can have that great quarterback, that legendary Hall of Fame type quarterback, and still beat him with a championship defense. That's why Kansas City can be beaten. On that note, that is why I think Kansas City will be beaten. And it is absolutely no disrespect to any of the teams left in this tournament. But looking at this from top to bottom, I am all in on the Cincinnati Bengals. All in. Sunday, for those listening live, 6.30 p.m. on the East Coast at Arrowhead Stadium. Some recently calling it Burrowhead Stadium, which I love. I don't think it's pompous. I don't think it's cocky. I think it's hilarious, and I think it's confident. I like Joe Burrow to leave tomorrow night, Sunday night, 4-0 against Patrick Mahomes. Something to the tune of Bengals 31, Chiefs 21. Now, I what I will say is I've had some recent luck lately in DraftKings, but you shouldn't be mortgaging your futures on these picks that I give you. I thought the Giants were going to lose by three last week. They lost by 31. Got the pick right. Got the, Came up woefully short with the pick. Woefully short with the picks like the putts I leave during the golf season. Woefully short. 
San Francisco in Philly. 3 o'clock. That's the lead game tomorrow on Championship Sunday. That's your Fox game. It's going to be close. Two good defenses. Two really good defenses. Pressure the quarterback. Stop the run. Now you got to pressure the quarterbacks. Brock Purdy. Who's got mobility? And obviously Jalen Hurts is very mobile. I love Jalen Hurts. I love everything about him. As a diehard Giant fan, it pains me to say that. But everything this kid does is awesome. Decision making, the leadership, the way he throws the football, the way he keeps plays alive, and he doesn't do dumb things with all. For Philly, at home, three o'clock where they're gonna be going nuts. I'm still going with Brock Purdy, Christian McCaffrey, and the 49ers. 27-24, San Francisco, which sets up an old school, right? Super Bowl 20, San Francisco 49ers, Cincinnati Bengals Super Bowl. Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't that be something? What a matchup that would be. I mean, any combination of these games, if you got Eagles-Bengals, if you got Niners-Bengals, if you got Niners-Chiefs, or Eagles-Chiefs, football fans, with this Final Four, we win. We all win. We are all going to win, regardless of these outcomes. But give me San Francisco close, the 3 o'clock game live on Fox Sunday. And give me Cincinnati 31-21 in KC, 6.30 on CBS. To this point, I think the postseason, really other than last week's debacle by the Giants, has been awesome. I thought the Jacksonville-Kansas City game was highly entertaining. Obviously, the Jacksonville-Charger game to basically kickstart the postseason was great. The Giants-Vikings game was thrilling. And right on that note, let's talk a little bit about Big Blue. 38-7, just drubbing last week in Philadelphia. All right? Obviously, this is a national show, but I've said time and time again, it's in, it's, it's on the profile page, it's in the bio. It's a national show with a, with a New York twist, right? So the Giants go down last week to Philadelphia who, as you now know, I think will fall in the conference title game to San Francisco. Philly 25-6 and against the Giants in their last 31 games. That is sheer freaking dominance. And what you saw in that game is, look, you're never going to convince me that the Giants were not prepared for that fight, for that football game. Because right from the, from the preseason, out of camp, to week one, where you saw maybe things were just different with Big Blue, with the way they came back against Tennessee to open the season. Maybe things were different. Preparation had been there, and the preparation was there last week. Folks, the Giants just were outclassed by Philadelphia. Philly's not just better than the Giants. They are vastly, vastly superior from a talent perspective to the Giants. All of those things we talked about with the Giants throughout the season 
came true last week. Lacking of a number one wide receiver. The inability on third down to move the football because they don't get enough push up front. I'm not going to hammer the Giants' defense because when you when your offense is out there with, with the bad interception to midfield or three and outs, you're going to be gassed. And it's a hell of a lot more challenging to stop an offense that's got a mobile quarterback who can throw bombs all over the field like Jalen Hurts than it would be on any regular day. Would have been hard to stop Kirk Cousins, and he was a bit of a handful in the opening round of the tournament. So I'm not going to hammer the Giants there. But what was the other thing you saw? In the linebacker department, They had the inability to stop the tight end over the middle. A 16-yard touchdown by Dallas Goddard really set that tone for Philadelphia, and they never looked back. We talked about those things all year, and that is a good New York Giants football team. But good is not going to be great, and the Eagles are better than great. I mean, they're 60 minutes away from going to the Super Bowl, and they wiped the floor with the Giants two out of the three times, including last week. They played them. So the Giants have obviously some work to do. And with that in mind, here were the words of Brian Dable uh, last week following the loss to the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, well, uh, crash landing here. Um, give Philly credit. Uh, they just, they did everything better than we did today. And, um, you know, tough game. You know, we got, uh, really got beaten all facets. So it wasn't one thing in particular. Uh, it was, you know, a team game and just didn't get it done. So congratulations to Philly. They get to move on. And unfortunately, we don't. I'd say anytime teams get a jump like that, it's always, you know, the... Having a lead at halftime is a pretty high percentage of having a chance to win. Um, you know, really it wasn't. We couldn't get anything going offensively. Couldn't stop them on third downs in the red zone. Running the ball. I mean, it was it was collective. It was a collective uh, effort in terms of not being able to get it done. And he's right. Third down, pushing up front. Hats off to Philadelphia. Doesn't mean you're not pissed that you lose a game, but back to the drawing table we go. 10-win season, playoff win. You would have said that to any Giant fan of sound mind in the beginning of the season to sign up for that, they would have grabbed the pen right out of your hand. This is not the type of loss that I'm saying, oh my God, what the hell is going on with the Giants? Where do we go from here? You go up from here. Because now you know what, what you are legitimately up against moving forward. I mean, that was a smack in the face of a wake-up call meeting. And the Giants were never pompous and cocky, business as usual. But if you want to be competitive on the grandest of stages and you use last week as the litmus test, you have work to do. We'll get into that off-season plan momentarily, but our old pal Vinny is on the line. Let's bring Vinny in. Now, folks, you, I love all the callers that call in. Some of them got excess noise, walking dogs, heard a couple of burps, closing doors. So we like to have fun here on the Podbean live apps. For those of you listening who might not call in, if you, if you hear some odd sounds, you never know where some of these folks are calling from. Joe Jett called us a couple of weeks ago down in, in uh, where was he, in, in Cape May, I think. Down in Cape May, he's not golfing. 
So I think Joe's going to call in, but uh, let's see if Vinny's here. Vin, you with us? All right, so we, we'll we wait for Vinny to get on the line. Um, yeah, you, you heard it from Dable, and it kind of echoes what I had said. All, all the credit to the Eagles. But if you want to be on that playing surface with them, things got to change. And the Giants are going to work on that in the offseason because they can't be held in any semblance of a comparison to any of the remaining four teams, including the Eagles who are in their division. Vinny, you with us? I'm here, Pete. You there? Al. Pete, can you hear me? Yeah, what's up, brother? What's going on, Pete? No, I just want a few few takes on the Giants, few takes on the Jets. Go ahead. Floor's yours. All right. With the Giants, they got to do better in the offseason. Their draft choices last year were horrible. They had the fourth and seventh round pick. They picked Kayvon Thibodeau. This guy cannot play against a good offensive tackle. He gets pushed around like a rag doll. And Evan Neal is a totem pole. You're better off having Joe Jett playing left guard, than left tackle than uh, than Evan Neal. He's terrible. You could have had, th this is what I'm saying, you could have had Drake London and Garrett Wilson at 4-7. and seven. You would have been short up at wide receiver for 10 years. Now, on the other hand, they got rid of a really good receiver in Kadarius Toney, who's doing great in Kansas City. And they got rid of Evan Ingram, who's doing great in Jacksonville. So they got to work on their offseason moves because last year's offseason moves were terrible. Really, I mean, that fourth and seventh pick, I mean, everybody's high on Thibodeau. Thibodeau only plays good against bad tackles and bad slow guards. Guys with good feet and that are big and strong push him around like he's not even there. I mean, I, I watch, I, I focus in on him every single week, and he just, he got no push at all last week because Philly's line is really good. He's got stronger and bigger, and Evan Neal, I, people keep saying that Thomas was bad the first year, but Evan Neal, Thomas, this guy gets beat around the edge five, six, seven, eight times a game, you know? Well, I, what I would say to you at three points, and, and you're not entirely off base, first with Thibodeau, I mean, and Neil, I guess we could, let, we could we could sandwich these guys together. There, there is obviously that NFL learning curve. I mean, obviously, well, well talked about. Kayvon Thibodeau. I, I thought later in the season he really started to come on. So I think the Giants might have a little bit of a cornerstone there. The problem with Kayvon Thibodeau, the way that the Giants were going to utilize him, really hinged upon the idea that his running mate, Aziz Ojolari, was going to be able to provide that support. And it really never happened because you look at the injury report one week, then two weeks later, then another three weeks after that, Ojolari was out or he was injured or he was questionable. And he, woke up, he suited up for the Eagles game, but he clearly wasn't 100%. As far as Evan Neal is concerned, many people said the same thing about Andrew Thomas, who uh, now you might yeah, think he's know. the best left tackle in football. So yeah. the Giants are going to be patient for him. Now, is there an idea, maybe, depending on what the Giants want to do with free agency, when they have roughly uh, $52 million available, uh, they'll have to spend about three and a half of that on the incoming draft class, drafting offensive linemen, signing an offensive lineman, and potentially moving Neal to guard? That might not be something that could be totally dismissed, depending on how Joe Shane and Brian Dable and Mike Kafka, if he's here next year, um, continue to view Evan Neal. 
The one thing where I disagree is the Kadarius Tony thing. The Giants had the move to make, they made it. Kadarius Tony, I know he's an electrifying weapon, but if you're not going to play, you got to go. And if you're going to be banged up, and, and, and there was really not too big of a hit with the Giants moving on from him, I was fine with the move. And I know he's made some impactful plays for Kansas City. That's great. You wish him well. But if you ain't soon enough for the team that you're on, and then magically you're ready to go the next week, you got to get out. So I, I'm, I can't fault the Giants there for the Kadarius Tony thing, no matter how good of an athlete he might be. Can I make a point on the Jets, Pete? Absolutely. Oh, uh, yeah. By the way, new offensive coordinator, Vin. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. All right. Jets. Pure desperation move to save Salah's job. I mean, you bring in the architect of the worst offensive football in Nathaniel Hackett in Denver. Yeah. You bring this guy in, the worst architect, worst offensive football, to run your offense now. How I just I don't I don't understand that. And now the you want Aaron Rodgers to come in. Aaron Rodgers don't want to play football no more. He he'd rather be I don't know what he canoeing in Saudi Arabia or something, taking ass and running with the Bulls in Spain. He don't want to play football no more. This this guy is. I mean, you hear him. I, I you know the guy's got issues. He don't want to play no more. You know he might be hanging out with Richard Simmons in the off season. Who knows? He's immunized though. Yeah, he might. Yeah, I, yeah. I I don't I don't get it. And I mean they are. So what you're saying with the Jets is their whole plan, Salah, trust the process, the whole nine yards is now out the window. We get a hired gun in Aaron Rodgers, and we start from there. You know, I just I, I know my friend Joe Jet's going to be on talking about this, but in order for the Jets to be successful, they got to start new. They got to get a real head coach because this guy is all over the place. He's terrible. I listen to him. I listen to his uh, his weekly shows, and he is all. Well, I think, uh, and Vinny, you, you started breaking up there, but thank you uh, for the call. And, and Vin makes a valid point there because what you, one of the things that you've seen, and, it, and it's interesting, I saw this online the other day. Um, if you look at Nathaniel Hackett's breakdown as an offensive coordinator before and after working with Aaron Rodgers, it's night and day. 28, 29, 27th, 25th ranked offense. Then third and second with Aaron Rodgers. Is this a Brett Favre redux? It, it could be. Many people now think that this might make the Jets the overwhelming favorite since it doesn't appear that Rodgers is going back to Green Bay, the landing spot for number 12. The numbers with Hackett and Rodgers, yeah, we're pretty good. The numbers there, the numbers work. But an interesting play there. Desperation. I kind of like that word that Vin uses. Maybe. But after a seven-win season, you know, the the Jets are kind of desperate. Now, the future is bright. Reason for hope with the Jets. And you've got a new offensive coordinator, like it or lump it. Maybe it's desperation. Maybe they know what they're doing. The problem is, the Jets really haven't proven all that well that they know what they're doing, especially down the stretch um, of this regular season that we just saw. A complete crash and burn. So we'll see. 
as far as the points Vin made about the Giants, yeah, I mean, the Kadarius-Tony thing, I, I, I can't hammer the Giants for that. Because if you're not going to play, if you're not going to suit up, and then magically you go to Kansas City, yeah, you're on the injury report the first game, and then boom, you're ready to roll. Yeah, it looked like the Giants might have been right. Better if they had their own wide receiver issues, availability and talent. You saw that last week in Philly. You don't need that headache. They didn't need that headache of Kadarius Tony. Evan Neal, yeah, it's going to take time. It took time with Andrew Thomas. Granted, it was, you know, a, a year and a half, maybe. Kayvon Thibodeau, slow to start. But you saw how impactful he was down the stretch. I think the Giants have the ability, moving forward, to build on what they did with those two first-round draft picks in Neal and Thibodeau. And they continue to develop them. I think that's essential. News out of Giants land this week. Wink Martindale, the great defensive coordinator, um, is going to interview his second interview with the Colts this weekend. Um, so you keep an eye there. You get invited back. Um, you know, Mike Kafka, the offensive coordinator, has interviews with the Colts as well. Uh, you wonder how they might be ranked. Uh, you read certain reports from different NFL uh, media sources that, and I honestly couldn't believe that I read this, that the Colts might be leaning toward retaining uh, Jeff Saturday, head coach. To me, that that's insane. I, I, I can't see that happening. You would say crazy things have happened. I don't know if they would. You pull this guy out of nowhere because he's a, he's a legend. Doesn't mean he's going to be a good coach. So we have uh, Mike on the line. What's up, Mike? Hey, how you doing, Pete? Good. What's going on? Uh, not too much. Um, uh, as far as the Giants are concerned, uh, they still need offensive line. How it seems like every year they're rebuilding the offensive line, but. A, a football team lives and dies with how good their line is playing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they're probably going to need two linemen. And as far as Evan Neal goes, I mean, I loved Evan Neal coming out of the draft. So if he's a bust, I'm a bust as picking linemen. And I picked some pretty good ones over the years. But uh, he's been the most disappointing player to me out of the draft. But you can't give up on him. He's a young kid. Maybe he can bounce back. Yeah, I, obviously they're not going to give up on him. You know, banged up early in the year. Uh, definitely had some lumps along the way uh, with, with some of the speed rushes the Saints had faced this year. Uh, you could look at the Chicago game. You could look at uh, both Eagles games of, uh, of significance would be the Week 14 game. And then obviously last week's playoff game. Uh, you know, there were instances where um, he just completely looked lost. Um, but, you know, there were other moments where, there, you know, there was probably a four or five, six-week stretch where you didn't hear his name at all. And that's obviously a good thing because if, you, if you're not getting called on TV or, you know, there's no penalties or the referees aren't announcing your number, you're doing something right. So I think there's a developmental process there that the Giants are going to stick with. And even after this year, to really pull a 10-win season out of nowhere for this team, I, I truly am of the mindset now that Joe Shane, Brian Dable and company have really given giant fans and even football fans who remain objective, no reason not to trust 
their process. They have a plan. And as long as they stick with it, God willing, this thing looks like it's going to work. Yeah. I mean, it takes time. Nobody expected them to win nine games. Uh, Unbelievable. And then a playoff game to boot. So, uh, and and, and Mike, I I appreciate the call uh, as always. Yeah. You, you look at this, there's a plan here. Uh, and 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 from my perspective here, as far as the Giants' offseason plan, it's it begins with inking Jones and Barkley. All right, Jones isn't going to get that top quarterback money. And the nice thing about Saquon Barkley is he's on the record of saying that he he's not looking to reset the market. Right, resetting the market would be Christian McCaffrey money. For those that don't know, he's making sixteen a year, sixteen million a year. Now Barkley co- quoted the other day, "I know what I did this year." But I know the past two years leading up to that were injury riddled. All right. That's complete. You know, that's leadership and intelligence there. That's let's living in reality. Now, the Giants had offered him the 12 mil during the season rejected. So if something to the tune of 13, 14 million dollars could do the trick, that would be great. But if you're going to live in that ballpark and Barkley doesn't think he's going to get more, you're going to have competition. And I think some of the Giants' biggest competition, if they are dead set on bringing back Saquon Barkley, because I do think they will bring back Daniel Jones. One of them is probably going to get franchised. The other one gets the extension. You would have to believe that maybe now, if they can figure it out, franchising Jones for a year uh, to the tune of north of $31 million would be right in that uh, financial number. It would jam up New York's cap space a bit more but it wouldn't be detrimental. I think that would be the likelier of the two to get tagged. But I think the biggest competition for Barkley, at least in my opinion, from, from a need perspective around the league, would be the Chicago Bears. Because what does Chicago want to do? It looks like they're set. In their minds, made up, we're going with Justin Fields. Now, they were a, an atrocious football team this year. But Fields came on late in the season. I mean, if you played fantasy and you had him, you probably wrote him to a title. Because he was doing it with his arm and he was doing it with his legs. You add Saquon Barkley to that backfield. Now you might have the most dynamic backfield in the NFC. You can make the argument in the league. Considering that Fields continues to develop. 13, 14 million per year do the trick? Probably. More than that, Chicago's out. More than that, the Giants might be out. Now you're going back to the drawing board. But Barkley's saying he's not going to reset the market. That's $16 million. So you're not going that high. And you know $12 million doesn't work. So you don't have to be a mathematician to know that it's probably going to be somewhere in between there. You want an, you want a guesstimation? You offer him 14, 14, 5 is yours. You franchise Jones for a year, you work on that in the offseason. I truly believe he wants to be here. He keeps saying it. Make it happen. If you got to tag him for a year, it's going to cost you 31 32 for the year. Jams you up a little bit in cap space. But the Giants have about $52 million in that now prior to the draft. And here's, here's the other thing, and this is a no-doubter. Jones and Barkley, you want to bring them back? That's great. You want to get $21 million bucks off the cap hit real quick? Kenny Galladay, get out. Goodbye. We'll see that nonsense elsewhere. Matthew Stafford should be inducted into the freaking Hall of Fame today for making that guy look halfway useful. $21 million cap hit. Uh, Dave Gettleman sitting home, puffing on his cigar, drinking his Malbec or whatever he's doing, wearing his stupid glasses, patting himself on the back for Andrew Thomas. 
and a $21 million a year contract to a guy who can't get off the line of scrimmage. $21 million coming off a four-win year. Dump him, you open up money. That's a no-brainer. I'd like to see Leonard Williams back. $32 million a year that guy's making. That's a lot. Rework the contract. To me, I think that's a must. But it is completely obvious, it has become very clear that what Joe Shane wants to do is build this team via the draft. We know that they could use a true number one wide receiver. DeAndre Hopkins' name is going to be floated around there. Stephon Diggs' name has been thrown out on the trade market after he apparently stormed out of Buffalo last week. You're going to spend probably 3 to $4 million in the draft. So Shane and Dable are going to build through the draft. But the Giants have the money at their disposal. You got free agents like Richie James, Breida, obviously Barkley and Jones. Julian Love, the Giants, you got to do whatever you have to do to bring him back. He was phenomenal from, from week one until last week. Julian Love's got to be back in that secondary with McKinney. It's a wonderful pairing. You can get yourself an ace corner. I think Adoree Jackson's a nice player. Fabian Monroe is great. But you see in that NFC and even beyond, some of the wide receivers you're going up against, you need a viable number one guy. And you might be able to get that through the draft. Just ask the Jets, right, with Sauce Gardner. So it can be done. Now, that kid is a generational talent. But it can be done. Richie James? Yeah, probably. Had moments where he supplied big-time support for Jones. And Matt Breed is a nice compliment to Saquon Barkley. We don't know Sterling Shepard depends on the ACL. I know he is beloved by that entire organization. I'm not in love with John Feliciano at center. I think he could do better there. I know he knows the system. Darius Slayton, another one I'm not in love with. If the price is right, though, okay. Yeah, if the price is right there, those are some of the things you can work on there with the Giants. Your offseason plan in summation, you're bringing back Jones, you're bringing back Barkley. You got to dump freaking Kenny Galladay to clean up money. You can rework Leonard Williams. And then honestly, you asked me the one free agent that I won back on this Giants team outside of the two obvious in Jones and Barkley. To me, it's Julian Love. You got to bring him back. If you want to continue this defense, and you may lose your defensive coordinator if Wink Martindale gets a head coaching job. You may lose him to the Colts or otherwise. You may lose your offensive coordinator. Now, I think both out of the question. They keep getting interviews. You want to continue the progress of this defense? I think getting a quarterback back there alongside a, a, a McKinney is Julian Love. Bring him back. And then build through the draft. I believe we have our... Uh, buddy Joe Jett on the line. Joe, you got me? I got you. How you doing, man? All right, bud. What's going on? You Are you golfing today? I am not golfing at the moment. Uh, I am watching Torrey Pines, though. The pros are at Torrey Pines. It's beautiful. I, I was watching. I love the late night golf, by the way. Yeah, you got to love that. <laughs> What's going on? Not me. Hey, all good, Pete. Um, listen, so uh, before we get into the Jets and everything, yeah, uh, I was listening to the show, man. Uh, you all right? Everything okay with the Giants? You okay? 
listen, I you don't want to get – I mean, the Giants, it's just – I use the term because I think it's appropriate. Joe, they were outclassed last week, and it sucks when your team loses, but I, I don't have this overwhelming sense of – go back to 2016, right, until, until this season, the last time Giants made the playoffs. After that drubbing in Green Bay, what, the Giants went in pompous, cocky, like they were the greatest thing since sliced bread, and then they lose 35-13 or whatever it was. You're kind of going, uh-oh, where do we go from here? Like now the league has our numbers. Aaron Rodgers is in our face and the rest was history. Until this year, they were terrible. I don't have that sense. It sucks to lose to a rival the way you do, the way they did. But man, I, I, I don't know that I've ever felt so, you know, not numb after a loss like I did. It, it, it sucks. But I can't wait for next season already because I think, I think the foundation is there with a little tweaking. This is a really good football team. You don't win 10 games by accident, Joe. No, you know what, Peter? I totally understand. But, you know, the only thing I don't like, like, the way they they didn't get off the bus. That game was over. In the If you're watching this game, for me, as an objective viewer to the game, I have no, you know, Giants or Eagles, they were flat. They looked unmotivated. I'm like, wow, what went on during the week? You know, they're better than yeah. losing 38-7 or whatever. Like, what went on? You know, and I and I really like they acted way too big after that Minnesota win. I feel, but like you said, they'll learn from this. They're young, big time. You know what I mean? Right. And you know what, Peter? Unfortunately, in sports, you have the Eagles. I have the Patriots. The Mets have the Braves. The Yankees have the Astros. It's just that our teams can't beat these teams for some reason. Well, the, listen, listen, the good news here, we can all agree on this. At least the Cowboys are out. That was great, of course. So, that, so that's always a good thing. Yes. <laughs> that yes. makes everything yes. better. So, oh, yeah. uh, listen, I want to ask you, and, we, you know, some, some, some house cleaning as well. Frank Reich, uh, next head coach of the Carolina Panthers. Dan Quinn, this is big news for Dallas. He's going to go back as their defensive coordinator. Uh, the Nathaniel Hackett move. Uh, we had uh, Vinny on the line earlier, one of our callers, uh, desperation movie called it with Nathaniel Hackett. Um, and I couldn't get wait to get your take on this. Is this, I, I mean, I don't want to say, is this just the reason? Because whether or not you agree with the move, Nathaniel Hackett does have a track record of success as a coach in the National Football League. But the what have you done for me lately is not good because his year as a head coach in Denver or, or less than a year in Denver was a complete dumpster fire. And the numbers for him, the metrics as an OC, was significantly better when Aaron Rodgers was his quarterback. Is this a ploy to get number 12 uh, to East Rutherford? What do you think? Uh, well, here it is. You know, Pete, I've, I've been talking to all my Jet fans and everybody since this went down. Um, first of all, let's just say I love the hire. And I'm going to tell you why. Let's not forget. Okay. He was the OC out in Jacksonville. Yep. And he took Blake Bortles, okay, <laughs> to the championship game. Yep. And then he had hey, Blake Borders had a hell of an arm. Exactly. And then, and then of course, the, the years at Green Bay with Rodgers. Rodgers was the MVP of the league. They were the number one scoring offense in 20. You know, look, is this a ploy? I, I think so. I hope so. They have to get Aaron Rodgers. If they, because here's the thing, Peter, if they don't get him, Mm-hmm. It's going to be like a balloon was bursted over next season. Yeah. And all we'll be thinking about is why didn't they get this done with Rodgers? 
Well, I, and I, I think a lot of the things that you, you read, and I, I think this was in the Daily News of the Post, I can't remember which one, talking about LaFleur as the play caller or Hackett as the play caller. And then there was a, a history of, you know, Jets offensive coordinators coming in over the years um, for his ability to call plays. I mean, do you have uh, maybe moments here since they made the hire where you're a little standoffish considering how everything just failed from an offensive perspective with another preeminent quarterback in Russell Wilson. Uh, Peter, quite honestly, I might be alone on this. I take nothing into what happened last season. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Because he probably is he probably is not a head coach. And you saw as well as I did, if anyone looked disinterested, wasn't it Russell Wilson? He didn't. He would walk up to the podium after it, say one word, walk off. That was a yeah. total mess. What happened? Listen, he is what he is. He's an offensive coordinator. His track record is good. He has some jet ties because his father was our offensive coordinator in the early two thousands. So I kind of like that a little bit. I'm yeah. all fine with the hire as him as the OC. Okay. So, you know whether it's Rogers or not, I'm okay with Hackett being our offensive coordinator. I think one of the things I think here, uh, and I was thinking about this during the week, this is even before the, the Hackett thing, because Aaron Rodgers had been floated as a potential destination to New York even before any of this happened. My question is, with with the, the now the long-standing history of the Jets having problems, monumental problems, figuring out under center, Aaron Rodgers is here for maybe a year, two. Is that the right thing to do if you're looking – for longevity. Now, you're looking for a title. I don't think Aaron Rodgers, you would say, well, you got to go get Aaron Rodgers and he's got to get you a title before he's done. I think you just want to be even more relevant than you were this year because even a seven-win season for the Jets this year, right? No, no postseason for the, for the 12th year in a row, but there were signs there that this team has clear talent and you thought maybe that there was a direction up until the end when it got sloppy. Aaron Rodgers solves the problem, do you think, immediately? I mean, how much better does he make this football team, and how long does it last as it pertains to the future, the long-term future? That's kind of the concern that I would have there, Joe. Uh, yeah, you know what, Peter? Let's face it. We all know this is not a long-term thing. This is a three-year thing at max. At, at, at most, max. yeah. I would say probably okay. two. But let's all remember, when we look through the history of sports, okay, sometimes it takes that veteran to get it done. And I will give you a couple of examples. The Mets went out and got Gary Carter and Keith Hernandez. Veterans in the league, they go win the World Series. And the Mo the Rangers would still be 1940 chance. They went out and got Mark Messier mm -hmm. and brought that. He personally brought that Stanley Cup to New York. And you know what? I'm tired of drafting these guys, the yep. Zach Wilson, the Sam Don. You know what? If Rodgers has any football left in his blood, if he if he's hungry for that second Super Bowl, Namath gave him the blessing of giving his jersey to him. He said he would allow him to wear 12. Come here. <laughs> you know what? You will be immortalized if you could ever win a Super Bowl with the Jets. You know, and it's up uh. to Aaron Rodgers. How much does he want it? And they have to discuss that with him also. Joe Douglas would have just 
You know what I mean? Where is his mind 100% in for two full seasons? They won seven games, Peter, with nobody. With yeah. Mike White, with Joe Flat. He's got to guarantee. They got to win 11 games. Buffalo is trending backwards. I don't even know what's going on up there. They can yeah. compete for this division next year. Exactly. I, you know, and I, I think in the, in the immediate future, it makes sense. I was just kind of thinking more long term. Um, I don't think it necessarily solves the Jets problem. But yeah, we had said a, a couple of weeks ago, Joe, that you're tired of, of landing these draft picks and having to develop them again. Maybe it's your one or two year respite from having to do that if you're able to hang on for to a Zach Wilson and develop him a little bit. I don't know, you know, not many of these veteran quarterbacks are going to go outwardly, uh, you know, mentor uh, or, or groom someone for the future, which I understand, but maybe just to have somebody like Aaron Rodgers around and on that field and watch would be good for a younger quarterback like Zach Wilson. So maybe that could um, bode well for the future if the Jets decided. And when, when you listen to Rob Solid, Joe, it does sound like Zach Wilson is still very much uh, in the cards for the future of this franchise. I, Peter, you know what? That's a great point. Zach can watch, you know, behind Aaron Rodgers. That was his that was his guy growing up as a kid. He looked up to Rodgers. Mm-hmm. You saw them talk on the field for like a half hour after the Jets beat Green Bay in Green Bay. Yeah. So they have somewhat of a relationship there. But you know what? Look what the Rams did last year. They went out and they got Stafford. They got an established guy, been in the league. They have a great defense last year, the Rams. What do they do? They win the Super Bowl. Yep. This seems to be a little bit way, you know, the Jets went and got Vinny Testaverde back then, took them to the championship game with Parcells, if we remember that. You know, getting these veterans who you don't have to teach, and it takes a lot of pressure off Salah. I agree with Vinny that Salah is far from a a Hall of Fame coach, as I think we could all agree on, and all my Jet fans agree. But you know what? Let's face it. Rodgers and um, Hackett will handle the offense. Salah could even work more now with the defense, and he can manage the game. Rodgers is going to run the game. I like that. Take pressure off Salah. Well, it, there seems to be uh, momentum in that regard. Uh, it, you know, we, we, we still got a lot of football left this season with the conference championships, uh, the Pro Bowl weekend, and then obviously uh, the Super Bowl. Uh, so we'll see what happens there. But Joe, uh, before I let you go, I, I, I got to get your opinion. And we mentioned that I, I, at the beginning of the show, I had a, uh, a message from a listener out in uh, New Zealand last week who was asking uh, about covering more golf on the show. So I know you and I were, were texting last night. This Patrick Reed stuff with Rory McIlroy, it's a bit ridiculous, is it not? It's it, You know what, Peter? You know, it's beyond childish. You yeah, know, you forget um, they're adults. Yeah, you do. You know, I throw a tee at a guy. I mean, <laughs> And he threw a live tee at him. <laughs> Peter, we don't do this in the SIGA, no, let no, alone going no. on in the PGA. Yeah. We conduct ourselves better if you can believe it. Yeah, it's I mean, unbelievable. You know what? I guess it's just good. You know what? It gets you into God, gives you stuff to read about. But besides that, it's a joke. But Patrick Reed has been a problem. Let's face it, since he's been on this tour between cheating allegedly and this, he's always involved in something. Yeah. So for, for those who might not know, uh, there's been a, you know, I don't, can't call it a longstanding rivalry. It hasn't been around for two years, but the new Live Tour, uh, headlined by, you know, Saudi backed money and Greg Norman rivaling now the PGA or they're trying to rival the PGA and bulk up their their TV deal um 
a little spat between Patrick Reed and Rory McIlroy earlier in the week where uh, Rory McIlroy, you know, threw a tee at uh, Patrick Reed, threw a tee at Rory because he ignored him. Uh, Patrick Reed seemed to forget that he would served Rory McIlroy uh, with 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 legal papers uh, in in a lawsuit. And and I love <laughs> I love the story that I read on social media earlier in the week that Patrick Reed's legal team, which this this is amazing, has been tr- has been trying to serve Tiger Woods with with legal docs and they can't find them meaning woods knows what's going on and he's just evading them they're going to the headquarters in florida they're going to his house the security guards are playing dumb i think it's great and i and i think you got to know that tiger woods is having a blast by doing this just evading him because patrick reed let you could like him uh, i personally don't care for his brand uh, I, I i think he's pompous and i and i think he's a baby um with all of this going on now uh, I think this could be at the detriment of of not the live, not the PGA Tour, but the game of golf as a whole. I mean, people are going to be like, you make gazillions of dollars. I mean, you could be Pat Perez, go out and shoot ninety six, and because there's a team event, walk away with eight million dollars. I might he he could just go play at a, at a freaking municipal golf course, and he's going to make eight million dollars just by accident because he's on a team with Patrick Reed and, and Dustin Johnson or whoever. I think all of this bickering. And all of this nonsense between the war of words Tiger Woods had with Greg Norman. By the way, I agreed with Tiger where he said Greg's got to get out. He's bad for the game. I think overall, all of this is bad for the game of golf. And I think a lot of people have forgotten that. Peter, I absolutely agree. I am not a fan of the live tour. I, I haven't watched it. I don't really read about it. I, and you know what it is? I mean, this is just a personal thing. Not knocking anyone that enjoys it. But you know what? Go ahead. Enjoy it. I don't like guys that bit the hand that fed them. You know, they gave him a beautiful living, you know, playing on the tour, and they're all millionaires. Now they just want more and more and get what's for me. I'm not a, you know what, it's just not for me. I don't knock it. If you enjoy it, go ahead. But I, I, I watch the PGA Tour, and that's it. And the last point on that is I don't want to hear these live guys complaining. You want to take the money and run, God bless you. But don't say that you want to be in the in the get uh, official world golf ranking points and play in an event that's only fifty four holes. No, I they've got a serious problem with that. That these guys want to be ranked in the OWGR when they're playing events that are fifty four holes, and the other guys on the tour are playing or across in Europe wherever they're playing are playing seventy two. That, that doesn't that doesn't fly. Oh, Peter, I. I can't agree more. It's just, it's a total mess. And Greg Norman's probably, he's still bitter about everything that happened to him when he was playing. You know what? It, it's its its a total mess. It's a dumpster fire. I, I don't want to be involved. Let's get to these conference championship games. Let's go. Yes, sir. Big ones uh, tomorrow. Who do you like? Wow. I mean, can you remember a year where, like, I look at both of these games and you can tell me anyone's going to win. I'd have to go. I'd have to agree. I mean, could, yeah, I mean, I picked San Francisco from the beginning when the playoffs started. So I cannot get off of it now. I can't. So it's, it, it, Brock Purdy's got to be under this amazing, this is unbelievable pressure here. Yep. But you know what? I'm going to stick. And I'm not getting crazy about that they beat the Giants 38-7. I'm not getting crazy over that, how great the Eagles are. And I know they're a very good team. There's no doubt about it. But I'm going to stay with San Francisco. I think they're getting two and a half points or something like that. I'll take yeah. the nine is just because I took them from the beginning. 
And how about the KC Cincy game? Now, again, I I I like Cincinnati. So does everyone. I mean, I mean, everybody is in love with the Bengals. You know what? I'm going to take them. I might hate myself tomorrow night because I'm probably going to have him in a parlay somewhere. And I could see Mahomes gimping off the field. You know, Kurt Schilling-like. You know, I, I could see I could see something like this happening. But I got to stick with Burrow, you know, to get back to the, uh, the big game, you know? Well, listen, we're going to see what happens. I, I, And I'm there. I, San Francisco, Cincinnati, I think the nostalgia purposes, I think that would be great. Um, you know, you go back to, you know, Bill Walsh, Sam Weish, uh, you know, I, you'd have two young coaches. You're going to get young coaches regardless. The veteran of the group is Andy Reid, and he's been around a block a few times. Wouldn't it be interesting if Andy Reid wound up in a Super Bowl against his old team, uh, the, the Philadelphia Eagles? So I think football fans win this weekend. I, I, I think between the four of them, I would say that the weakest of the bunch, and this is alarming probably to some, is Kansas City, even though they have Pat Mahomes, because I think they have the significantly lesser quality uh, defense overall. But, uh, Joe, listen, enjoy the games. Uh, for those listening live, Saturday, it's you know 12.09 on the East Coast. The games will be Sunday at 3 and 6.30. Joe, enjoy them, and uh, we'll talk to you next week, hopefully, brother. Yep, thanks a lot, Peter, man. Enjoy the games. All right, that's our buddy uh, Joe Jed, big fan of the friend of the show. Uh, and, again, on Spotify for those uh, iTunes Radio, iHeartMedia, uh, for those not able to listen live. Um, wouldn't have been able to do any of that. I mean, this entire landscape of the podcast, the success of it, has wildly exceeded any expectations that I had. Um, and, and I could not have done it without the listeners. And, and I am greatly, greatly uh, appreciative of it. So I mentioned on the back end of the of the show that I what I was going to get into during the back end of the show was the MLB Hall of the pro pro baseball I should say uh, Hall of Fame stuff. Uh, by now everybody is you know knows uh, Scott Rowland has been voted in with seventy nine percent of the vote um, coming off his first year where in twenty eighteen he received just ten percent of the vote. So. He's the only one voted into the class of 2023. He's going to join Fred McGriff, uh, who, who was a unanimous selection uh, by, the, that, by that Veterans Committee, the Contemporary Baseball Eras Players Committee, uh, back in, September, in de- December. So those will be the two in the, the, the Hall of Fame ceremony uh, in Cooperstown this year. Um, but what a lot of people are focusing now in was Scott Rowland rightfully voted in? A seven-time All-Star, eight-time Gold Glover. Um, we know that some of the things the voters have done in years tend to be bizarre. Right? I think anybody that, that's followed this, you have stacked classes one year, then you may have one or two players voted in, and they seem very stubborn. Well, how could you not vote for this guy, but you voted for this guy? You know... I go back to the opening point that I made with Roland. His first year on the ballot was 2018. Received 10% of the vote. Players that earned 5% or less, less than 5% are dropped off future ballots. And you need the 75% or to get in. 16 seasons across Philadelphia, St. Louis, Cincinnati, and Toronto, a World Series to his credit. I don't think this was a forced job by the voters. 
you know, I give you the, 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 the dynamics of how the years have differed. 18 players were voted in 2006, one in 02. And that was the Wizard of Oz, Ozzie Smith. Scott Rowland deserves to be in, and he's in. He's one of the best players all around you'll ever see. From top to bottom. Might not be the sexiest name. Outspoken. Big media draw. The guy's a winner. And he was a gamer. He's easily a top 10 third baseman of all time. Mike Schmidt. Wade Boggs. Eddie Matthews. Chipper Jones. The list goes on. Right now, you've got 341 present members of the Pro Baseball Hall of Fame. You're asking me? Scott Rowland deserves to be in the position that he's in. Complete picture. Eight-time gold glove at the hot corner. Seven All-Star games. A ring. I mean, to me, as someone who was able to watch him, I know all the names that are going to pop up are going to be the Don Mattingly's of the world. What happened there? Jeff Kent, Jeff Kent's not a Hall of Famer. In my opinion, he's not a Hall of Famer. Scott Rowland is. Again, I don't think this was a dump job, a forced job. Doesn't make me right. Because the only thing that we know and the only thing that matters is Scott Rowland is going to Cooperstown. And you hope like hell he enjoys I'm sure he is. Move the freaking tears with this announcement. And you look at the voting results there. You're going to have names that will continue to pop up to the Hall of Fame in 2024 or make some gains. You know, you have to figure, and, and, I, and I've believed this for a while, that Andrew Jones is a Hall of Fame. I mean, just a musician, uh, magician with his glove, steady bat, hit for pop. Seventh year on the ballot, going into next year. You're on it for 10. After that, it's gone. Got to go in through the Veterans Committee. Billy Wagner, it's going to be his ninth year next year. He was at 68% this year. So he's close. Jones was at 58. He's still got time. Todd Helton was on the doorstep. 72% this year. You got to figure Todd Helton's got a good shot to be enshrined in Cooperstown next year. And it's going to be the final year uh, in, in 24 for Gary Sheffield. This one irks a lot of people. Sheffield at 55%. You know, that's a toughie. You're going to make that leap? That's his final year on the ballot next year. It's going to be interesting to watch. One of the things I really do have a problem with is there's, there, there would be people that are now going to say, you know, you know the, the Puritans, or at least they consider themselves Puritans. I wish that we lived in a world where we didn't have to have controversies that surround things like steroid and steroid abuse in pro sports. Unfortunately, we don't. But I think it continues to be problematic where some of the biggest names in a history of professional baseball, Pete Rose being one of them, it's a complete freaking disgrace. With everything that's going on in DraftKings and FanDuel's and fantasy sports and gambling, gambling amongst friends at a ballpark, 
And Pete Rose, he did a stupid thing. But the guy's been raked over the coals from a baseball perspective for long enough. You know, I know he's done some dumb crap in his life. But if we're talking about this from a baseball perspective, and all these baseball people, you can't tell me that Pete Rose was the only do only one doing what he was doing. He's probably just a, dumb enough to get caught. And now that guy, maybe outside of a of a Ted Williams or a Tony Gwynn, the best pure hitter the game's ever seen, is not in the Hall of Fame. We're still playing that game. We can stop with the crap and the holier than now because none of us are. It's time to have Pete Rose, Barry Bonds, Alex Rodriguez, Mark McGuire, put them in the Hall of Fame. And I don't want to hear about any of that separate wing crap. Because right, wrong, or indifferent, Barry Bonds, when he stepped in the batter's box, was the most terrifying guy the last seven, eight years of his career. Who walks someone with the bases loaded? That's a cardinal sin in baseball, on any level. And they did it. So, I, and, I, and I, what I don't have an appreciate is, is a lot of these voters, some of them probably aren't even strong enough to lift a baseball, have the audacity to say, well, we, we can't let him in. He was a gambler. We can't let him in. He might have taken, that's my favorite. He might have taken steroids. Some of them not all proven. Now, I know Roger Clemens acts like an ass and he's a pompous jerk. But you have too many pitchers these days throwing chin music. Give me those guys back. Give me the old school guys back. Give me guys like the, the, the 1936 Hall of Fame class, Honest Wagner's and Christy Matthewson's of the world. Or somebody like Sandy Koufax, Lefty Gomez, Satchel Paige, Joe Kelly, Chipper Jones, Vlad Guerrero. Guys who played ball who were tough. Trevor Hoffman, second greatest closer of all time. Guys that played with an edge, Walter Johnson, Ty Cobb. Mike Schmidt, George Brett. Everybody's got something that you can pick on. And now when we live in this stupid age where, where people like to run their mouths on social media because the person on the other end of that receiving it is not in front of their face, how different that might be because you're voting for people with a pen and a piece of paper that you never met, that you couldn't hold a candle to. And now you're judging them based on something that happened and praising other guys. Well, Derek Jeter was a Puritan. He did it the right way. How do you know? You follow him around 24-7? Not a biggest Derek Jeter fan on planet Earth. I'm not putting him on freaking Mount Rushmore. Saying he doesn't have flaws. Michael Jordan, Charles Barkley, these guys, Tiger Woods, these guys gamble more away than I'll ever have. And I'm not a poor guy. You going to judge somebody? Tell me Pete Rose doesn't deserve to be in the Hall of Fame after some of the other non-domestic abuse, drug abuse, shootings? Pete Rose, because he bet. I don't care who he bet. I bet he happened to bet on his own team and others, I'm sure. And don't tell me ownership didn't know what was going on. GMs and owners around the league. That's poppycock. They knew exactly what was going on. 
But I'm I'm completely tired of this, which is why I was happy that Scott Rowland was voted into the Hall of Fame. The guy freaking deserves it. He had a damn good career. He was a winner and he was a consummate pro. And you don't have to like the things that guys like Bonds or A-Rod did, Clemens, Mero, whoever, or whoever they think did these things as far as steroid abuse is concerned. If you're voting them in or not voting them in, put it on the perspective of what they did on the field. Because I'm, I, you would have to bet your bottom dollar that there's guys in the Hall of Fame that were doing things like that, that just didn't get caught. I think it's a joke at this point. And, it, and it, for me, it starts and ends with Pete Rose. It's a, it is an absolute travesty that that, not, that that man is not in Cooperstown. So we'll see what happens moving forward. But as far as the Hall of Fame class this year, two consummate pros. Fred McGriff was a terror in the batter's box, and he was a damn good first baseman with his glove, and you're going to get rolling in. That's your only two. That's a nice class. That's a job well done by that Veterans Committee and for once the writers. Work on it. Let's get A-Rod in. Let's get Bonds in. Let's get those guys in the damn Hall of Fame. And we'll continue to track it next year and see if Andrew Jones, Helton and Wagner probably will get in next year. Jones may be in Sheffield. If not, it's going to go to the Veterans Committee. So, on that note, now that I'm all fired up, I'll take my energy out later. My wife's got me. She entered me in one of these 5K runs next month, so I've been running a lot. It's nice. I'm dropping a few pounds. I'm getting slim for the golf golf season. I'm going to lose too much weight. It couldn't make my putting any worse. Um, so we'll see that. We're going to go for a nice run later up in uh, Mountainside, New Jersey. We celebrate my in-laws' um, birthday slash anniversary. So it should be a nice little weekend uh, with the nieces and and my little uh, five-month-old daughter who is, who is growing on a second-by-second basis. So. This weekend, right across just the landscape of sports, is a good one. A really good one. If you're a pro football fan, you're jacked up. Can't say it enough. We win with this Final Four. Eagles, Niners, defense, defense. Two good young quarterbacks. Jalen Hurts, MVP-esque season. I just think San Fran's going to be a little better on the road. Give me the Niners. Cincy going to KC. Everybody's picking Kansas, uh, Cincinnati, and for good reason. They're playing out of their minds right now. I like the Super Bowl to feature San Francisco against Cincinnati in two weeks' time. Said it last week, and as we continue to go, got some big-time guests coming up from the world of hockey. Some guests joining us from the Knicks, the Rangers, across Major League Baseball. So we're going to get more into a lot of that stuff, including college basketball. And you got some interesting games this weekend across the landscape of college basketball. The number two team in the country, Alabama. I mean, I've said it once, I'll say it again. This team is Final Four national title good. They get a tough test against Porter Moses' Oklahoma team this afternoon. For those listening live, Alabama-Oklahoma going to be a good game. Iowa State's playing good ball in the hardwood, and they go to Missouri as well. That'll be a toughie. Houston was ranked one, had a tough loss to Temple. They host Cincinnati. That'll be your 2:15 game today for those listening live on CBS. Marcus Sasser for Houston, an easy MVP uh, player of the year candidate. 
uh, out of the, the college basketball world. I think this is shaping up yet again to be another really, really good year in college basketball as we continue the push to March. So loads of college basketball on the schedule this weekend, and you got the conference title games in the NFL. Want to give a special thanks to all our callers. Buddy Joe Jett uh, chiming in once again. He's been a regular, and I know he's been uh, beloved by many of our listeners. So we hope to talk to Joe um, next week. And right now, just want to thank all the listeners. You can catch the replays right here on Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, and iHeartRadio. Subscribe on all of those platforms. And you can follow me on Twitter as well, at Peter, J-A-Y-M, up-to-date information, and any info on your teams, leagues, and show um, as well. I'll be back next weekend in the usual spot, 11 a.m., right here on Podbean Live. Have a great weekend, everybody. Enjoy the conference title games, and I'll talk to you next week, 11 a.m. on the East Coast. Sports Today with Peter J.